This podcast is shareable. I'm going to go ahead on a limb and say this either is or will become your favorite podcast. This is shareable. The show that's so good, you got to tell someone about it. Every episode, we explore the impact of people and technology on our lives and careers, and we send you away with something shareable. Now, without further ado, let's get to it. Hey, I'm Jason Swank, and I help agency owners grow their revenue and profit faster by setting up the right strategies and systems. That is such a concise elevator pitch. I really, uh, it's funny. Um, my business partner who, who, you know, uh, Nick Eubanks, I was actually just listening to the episode. He was on shareable and I asked him like, who are you and what do you do? And man, you would have thought that I asked him for like a complex chemistry equation or something. Cause he had such a hard time with that. Cause he uh, you, know, you know, entrepreneurs, they're all over the place. He, he needs to work with me a little bit longer than <laughs> I mean, he shares your stuff around to us, you know, the rest of the, uh, the owners, he sends us your stuff sometimes. And he's like, hey, check this out. Think about this. Here's something that Jason just said, and it's got me thinking. So it has been a little bit of a guiding force for us uh, around a number of different conversations. So um, Great. yeah, man. So so I've always been curious. I mean, it's funny because I, I started following your stuff uh, years ago um, and got on your email list. And you know, just it, you have a very personal voice about the way that you send email, which kudos, man. Um, but I, I've always been curious about how you get into the business of helping, how you get into a business of making agencies your client. Like it's like you're an agency that helps agencies to a certain extent. Is that, is that correct? It's kind of weird, isn't it? Um, yeah. How'd you get into it, man? It's all by accident. So, you know, and just like I fell into kind of creating an agency, you know, you know, back in 1999, one of my best friends looked like Justin Timberlake. So I created a fake band, fake website called in shit, making fun of NSYNC. And it got popular and someone asked me to design a website. So that's kind of how I got accidentally into the agency business. And then after I sold my agency, I was kind of lost, right? I was just like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was kind of depressed. I didn't have that significance anymore. Um, I could sit, I didn't want to sit around, do nothing. And it took me a couple of years for some of my competitors, my older competitors to reach out and say, Hey, Jay, how'd you... How'd you get uh, LegalZoom as a client? How'd you work with Home Depot? How'd you work with Hitachi? And I was like, oh, we did this. And they were like, oh, that helped. And I was good at it. And then they were like, um, can we pay you? I was like, nah, no, 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 no sweat. And then, then they just kept coming to me. And they were like, well, can we pay you? I'm like, okay, all right, you pay me. And then I, was, I just had a lot of, I got a lot of reward from it. And I had that significance again. So I was like, well, let me create a podcast and let me create some goofy videos that I look like a, a hostage and a Oompa Loompa in the first couple of videos. And, uh, you know, it just started from there. So, so far, your story sounds to me like a lot of kind of like tripping kind of ass backwards into success. I'm curious about everything that preceded that. So when I was a kid, I wanted to be a professional basketball player, starting point guard for the Knicks. I was supposed to be congratulating Dwayne Wade last night, uh, but life had other plans for me. So I had all these ambitions and dreams, things I wanted to do. I had some entrepreneurial stuff that I did. Um, and everything that kind of came my way 
was less about like it kind of fell into it as it kind of was a natural next step after the thing before. So walk me back to, you know, younger you, what were the ambitions? What were the things that you wanted to accomplish and take on before you had this just random success of in shit that led you to uh, <laughs> the agency life and, and then falling again into it with people saying, I want to give you money because don't we all just want someone to come to us and say, I want to give you money. So yeah, that's a, a that. nice, right? Um, so I wanted to be a professional tennis player. So I, I grew up playing tennis and played in college and, um, you know, in, in the middle of college, I kind of got burned out because there was too many distractions. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, from there I was just like, well, I want to own my own business one day, but I didn't know what it would be, even though going back when I think about it, one of my favorite shows growing up was, um, I dream of genie, right. Mm-hmm. Where, or was it, I dream of genie or the bewitch? No, it's bewitched. It was bewitched. The nose wiggle. The nose wiggle, right? Yeah, and you remember Darren was her husband and he was an ad man and he would always pitch his ideas. And then, you know, Larry, the, the boss would always steal his ideas. And I always just found the pitching just to, like, I was fascinated by the pitching and coming up with the creative ideas. So at a young age, I think I always wanted to own an eight or be in the agency business, maybe not own it, but and then thinking back to it, the young age, I, I had every little job you could think of. Like I mow yards. My tagline was I beat everybody by yard. I know. Play the cheesy that's, music. That that's one. actually really good. I like right. That. <laughs> you know, I would I would go on the golf courses and sell the golf balls back to the golfers when they couldn't they'd hit the ball up over the like a dog leg and they couldn't see the ball. I'd like run and get it and then I'd sell it back to them. <laughs> so that's something. Yeah. Um all right. So, but so you, you were into the advertising marketing kind of thing. You were, you, you had some early inspirations from television. How did that start to take its shape as you kind of grew up, I guess? Well, you know, I just, just started figuring it all out. Like I, I've never been afraid of, of messing up. I've always been in the approach of going, I'm either going to be successful at it or I'm going to learn from it. And I mean, I remember my first client, 1999, they asked me to send him an invoice. I didn't even know what an invoice was. I was like, what? what? I had to go to my dad. Like Google was even around. Right? I was like, <laughs> couldn't Google it. Uh, couldn't Yahoo it. Like literally we were still on dial up, I think back then. So, you know, I just kind of just go at it, kind of not even know what's around the corner and just say, whatever's around the corner, I'll be resourceful and and I'll figure it out. That's kind of what I do today, even though now I have more of a direction and I, and I have more of a, a reason or a why behind it to kind of give me the North star in order to make better decisions. So what's that North star? What, what is the why that's currently guiding you? Um, because, you know, I think there's kind of two things I'd like to dig down on that path. I want to know what your why is, but I think also knowing that and knowing the experiences you have helps to contextualize for people listening how you got into a business where you now help agency owners who tend to think that they know what their why is and they tend to think that they know what they're doing and not afraid to make mistakes, but they have so much to learn from someone who's developed processes and, and thoughts that, that maybe you developed deliberately or maybe you just kind of fell into, but then processified. So, so what's your why? Uh, and contextualize that around how yeah. you do the work you do. Yeah, it's about being a resource I wish I had when I was running my agency, you know, because, you know, almost everybody that gets into the agency business or some type of service-based business, it's usually by accident. So you're kind of an accidental entrepreneur 
for that type of business, right? You knew how to do something cool. Someone was like, oh, can you do this for me? And then you turn it into a business and you never have that clarity of what you want to do. So you just start reacting to the market. And I, I, and then I also saw like such a big need. And I remember how isolating and alone and frustrating it was because I couldn't go to my employees being like, guys, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Like, do you guys know? Like they leave. Right. And we, and we grew to a big team. And, and so, you know, I just wanted to show people kind of the foundation or a framework that they could build on. Um, and, and just kind of grow a little bit faster. Like there's no, like I, I had Seth Godin on my show not too long ago and I was like, well, what's a, what's a shortcut? And he, he, he stopped me right in my tracks. He's like, there's no such thing as a shortcut. People looking, th- looking for shortcuts usually fail because they take this leap, but then they're not ready. They don't have the right foundation. So what I like to do is, is show people kind of, here's the foundation. Here's what you can build on and create your own silver bullets and <laughs> silver bullets don't exist. And I won't even name some names that say they sell the silver bullet. We all know who they are. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's interesting. I, as you were saying that Seth Godin was on your show and then you asked that question immediately in my head, I couldn't stop thinking, well, Seth is obviously going to say it's going to take long, long hours, hard work, learning, failing, making mistakes, all that sort of stuff. That's classic Godfather Seth. Yeah, that's right. Um, all right. So let's, let's get into some of the meat of it. I want to talk a little bit about, um, this work of coaching agencies and some of the things you've learned there, because I think it really takes a special type of person to step out of the agency game and the the craziness that comes with it, the dumpster fires, as we uh, like to talk about it internally. And that, um, that constant chasing of the new business and all those sort of things to step back and then become that resource that you kind of wish that you had. So you work with a lot of different types of agencies, I'd imagine a lot of them probably in the digital space, um, and a lot of them looking to grow probably from a small agency into a medium agency, but then you also have the, the resources and expertise to, to grow people from a medium to a large. Let's start kind of at the beginning of what you tend to see in agency owners uh, that is a strength and a weakness that you kind of immediately go to work on. Yeah, they're trying to be, um, they're trying to do everything and they're trying to be everything for everybody. And they're not really, they, they don't laser down to a particular industry or a particular market that they can dominate, right? And they're going after kind of, I always like to refer to these people as me too agencies. Like if you remove their logo, you can't tell the difference between who is who. And they really haven't they don't have that clarity in order to position themselves to build a brand that really stands alone. Right. It's kind of like if like, for example, Apple has a brand. If Apple was going to design a car, we know exactly how that car would be. Right. It'd be like innovative, sexy, sleek, expensive, right. Expensive. (laughs) Right. Right. We know how that is. But if, Um, like a restaurant chain, like let's say, um, I don't know, Applebee's, Applebee's, right? (laughs) Let's say they were going to design a car. We'd have no idea. We don't know what they, what they stand for. So, you know, in order to figure out who you're like, you have to figure out who you're going after, how to position, what do you need to stand for? Why are you doing it? Right. And then figure out your right offering so you can really stand out in the crowd. 
and really build the foundation because I find a lot of agencies just go, all right, what's the tactic of the day in order to generate leads? Oh, I need to do, I jumped on someone's webinar and they talked about, oh, they got a webinar course. So I need to do a webinar in order to generate leads, but they're not building the right foundation. You have to have clarity, you have to have positioning, you have to have the right offering, and then you can attempt to go into prospecting. I always find this conversation so funny, the whole, um, you know, niching down, targeting, knowing who you are, knowing what unique value proposition is, because as an agency, as an agency, this is what we tell our clients, which is the funny part about kind of you coaching agencies is that we know, at least internally for us, we know those are the right questions, but we have so much trouble answering it at times. And I'm sure that that's probably one of the number one things that comes up is that, you know, in a lot of ways, that's not, um, that's not new information necessarily to an agency owner, but probably the way that you can get them to turn that mirror on themselves and the questions you get them to ask is what's new about what you've been able to do. So I'm curious how you get the people who are so close to it to ask themselves those questions and answer them honestly, because the the two paths I can see it going down are one, this is what I'm good at. So this is what we do, or here's what we want to go after, but I'm not sure we can serve them. So how do you, how do you rectify all of that? And how do you work with agencies to answer that question? Yeah. So here's the thing. No one can ever tell you what your niche is only you, and you have to kind of do it kind of the reverse way through like process of elimination. It's kind of like a Vegas buffet, right? You got to try out everything. And you got to see what you don't like. And then from there, once you start eliminating a lot of stuff, then you can ask yourself a couple questions. What am I extremely passionate in? What are you extremely knowledgeable in? And what is there, is there an opportunity for you to separate yourself from everybody else? Ask those three questions. And after you start eliminating, and then you'll have something. Where, because you want to create something that your only competition is cat videos and procrastination. That's how I look at it, right? You could say, Jason, there's so many, um, you know, so-called, you know, advisors out there for agencies. What do you do? Like, I don't, I don't know who they are. Like, I just look at it as the, my biggest competition is procrastination and cat videos, right? <laughs> Those are distractions. I love cat videos. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? Right? And so just separate yourself and, and figure out, you know, how can you be very, very unique where you're that specialty knife? You don't want to be the Swiss army knife. Swiss army knife's okay. And it will always be okay. But if you're the specialty knife and people are just banging down your door in order to work with you, where you even have a waiting list, don't you think your stock will rise and then you can grow. A lot of people just think when they come to me, they go, Jason, you know, I'm at a couple million right now. I want to double. So I'm like, okay, cool. What do you think you need to do? I need to double the accounts. Like wrong answer. What if you could get the right accounts, actually get less of them as long as that value is there. And then you can, you know, you can scale and, and you don't have to, you know, because a lot of times I find, and you guys probably have seen this, you'll be at a certain level. You'd be like, man, I'm making some good money. Let's, let's get on some more accounts. Then you have to bring on more people. Well, the more people you bring on, what you don't realize is, you're going to have more kind of levels, more managers. And then as you have that, your profit's going to go down. Your agency's growing, but your money is actually going down. And then you're like, why am I even doing this? Let me go create a software. <laughs> that's, the, that's the track, right? Because everybody thinks the grass is greener on the other side. 
But I always tell them the grass is greener on the side you water. You're just not focusing on it right. Like I'll give you an analogy that that's really, really good. Um, so my uncle one time, he, uh, he worked for Grumman. So you remember Grumman, you're a Long Island boy, right? You remember that 14s that would fly over the Island, right? My uncle worked on all of them. Uh, you know, the, the, the fighter jets and top gun. And one of his jobs was testing out the canopy. And so he would fire dead chickens. He had a chicken gun <laughs> firing at the canopy, kept breaking it. Months went by just firing dead chickens at the canopy kept breaking. Finally, since they were too close to it, they asked for help outside, which was NASA. NASA wrote back one line, unfreeze the chicken. <laughs> so we're all shooting frozen chickens because we're too close to it. Sometimes you got to get outside advice. Makes sense? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy it. story, right? <laughs> I want to I want to shoot dead chickens at shit. I, honestly, I I it, it's going to take everything in me not to name this episode unfreeze the chickens. Oh, you should. I, I have an episode called that. Unfreeze yeah. your chicken. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, all right, I want to, I want to take it in a slightly different direction because, um, you know, I, I know I have limited time with you on this one and I'm, I'm sure we'll have more chances to speak and all sorts of things, but I want to get a sense of where you see technology fitting into things, uh, as well as, um, personnel and people and, and, and cultural issues in, uh, agencies abilities to scale. So let's start with technology. Um, right now it, it, it can be very attractive, especially when you bring up the idea of hiring more staff as your revenues grow, which creates, I think, a kind of a bigger liability because then if you lose any of those clients, which inevitably you always have churn, you're left kind of holding the bill for payroll. So, uh, one of the ways that companies try to deal with this and agencies try to scale is through technology. They either find pieces of software that can replace man hours or they find, uh, technology that allows them to connect with offshore talent. So technology has become a very um, important part of running an agency in 2019. I'm curious how much technology factors in as part of your training and guidance for current agency owners. Well, technology is amazing, right? And, you know, when I was running my agency, most of all of our people were in one location other than, you know, the offices that we set up and that kind of stuff later on. And now you're, we don't really have any boundaries and we can find talent anywhere and we can use that technology like Zoom. We're recording this over Zoom and we can see each other. We can hear it. We can see the motions, all that. But here's the problem with technology, especially when it comes to agencies. We try to automate everything. And I, like I, I listened to an episode or, or I mean, Gary Vanderchuk said this one time, he goes, the people that are going to win in a Flintstone world or um, in a George Jetson world, are the people that act like the Flintstones. Meaning, think about all the agencies are trying to automate everything, automate communication, everything. But what if you actually took the reverse because everybody else is trying to automate everything? What if you actually try to de-automate all the engagements with your clients and your prospects? Like for example, when someone buys a program from me, I send them a custom Loom video every single time. It takes me a ton of time, but it's personalized. Everybody's like, you could automate that. I could, but then I couldn't say their name. I couldn't connect with them. I couldn't look up, you know, the website, give them some pointers, all that, right? I will win going forward because I've done that personalization. I'm not trying to automate everything. Or when people respond, you know, via email, a lot of people will do a VA to respond or LinkedIn or social. That is all me. I just think we all need to use technology to start the conversation, but human beings need to end it. Yeah. And I, it's, 
it's, I'm glad that you closed on that point for that because I, when hearing you say that, you said, yeah, I'm creating a personalized Loom video. Well, at the same time, you're still using Loom there and you're still using Zoom to connect here. But at the same time, there's that underlying humanity and connection that's happening there, that personalization and that, you know, thought and emotional energy that goes into it. So it's interesting that you are kind of really bridging those two things. Um, As far as the concept of scale, so there's kind of the customer experience, which obviously you need humans behind that. But in terms of scale in today's day and age, I think if you were to go the Flintstones route, so to speak, in a Jetsons world, you know, let's say you did all of your bookkeeping on paper, for instance. Oh, gosh. You know, or you did all of your <laughs> social media search reporting uh, by, you know, printing out sheets of paper and mailing it. That would probably put you uh, pretty far behind. As you're working with agencies, now being an agency that serves agencies, um, you know, are you keeping yourself current with what's happening? And then how much of that goes into you training the agency to, to leverage technology as a, a point of, of leverage to scale? Oh yeah. Everything I help them with, I test on myself, you know, from like two years ago, right. Messenger marketing came out or messenger bots. I got rid of my contact page and changed it to a messenger bot because I wanted to see how it, how it would do. How did it do? It was fantastic, right? And so I, I had to do that before I actually start showing some agencies how to do that. Or when Facebook advertising came out, I had to experiment with myself of going, wow, there's a huge potential here. Here's the different levels that you need to do. So it's it's really cool because I don't get distracted by my clients. I just test out everything. Like you will never hear me say, I'm just too busy to work on my own stuff. <laughs> Like the cobbler's kid syndrome. Yeah. Like I, I, that's my pet peeve when I hear agencies say that. And I'm we like, all say it. Like literally like, everyone. Yeah. And I'm like, if you say you're, if you're too busy, like the telltale sign is like, you're not charging enough as you say you're too busy. Just charge more, get less clients. Then you get more time. Huge <laughs> fan of charging more. I 100% agree with you there. Why, why, is, why is that a thing? Why don't more people charge? I mean, at the same time, we don't all want to raise our prices exorbitantly and, and destroy the market, but why is, I, I see that. I talk to other agency owners, I talk to freelancers and I, I 98% of them are not charging nearly enough. And I think it's bringing the entire average uh, cost in the marketplace down. Why do you think that's such a thing? Why are people so afraid to charge what they're worth and free up that time so that they can work on their own stuff? Because they don't know what they're worth most of the time. Dynamite answer. How do you figure out what you're worth? Well, you have to ask the right questions in the very beginning with your clients. And that's a very scary thing, right? Think about it. There's all these people out there that are teaching people how to be an agency or how to get services, but they're not teaching them how to actually deliver on what they promised. Right? I, I see a lot of communities where they'll pop up. They'll be like, hey, here's, here's how to do X. Go do it. And then people are like, oh, I sold a $10,000 retainer. Now what? I'm like, oh, crap. Right. So it makes the market look bad. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is you have to ask the, you have to figure out in order to figure out the value, you need to be kind of like Columbo. You can never tell the value to your clients, right? You got to ask them. So if a client came to me and I figured out their biggest challenge, I said, Oh, your biggest challenge you say is you need a better website. But then I start asking more questions. I'm like, Oh, you have a lead generation problem. Well, cool. Well, how much is that lead generation problem worth to fix? And they're like, I don't know. Like, well, how many leads are you getting now? How much is a lead worth to you? 
right? And then I can backwards math and then I can ask the right questions for them to be like, oh my God, it's a million dollar problem I'm having. Oh man, is that important to you? They're like, yeah. Like, okay, well, let's fix this. And then it doesn't come down. Like, here's the other thing. It's very important for everybody to realize. No one's ever going to, well, no one's ever going to turn you down because your price is too high. So for example, if you're talking to the right people, they're not going to do that if you show them value. So if I was having a heart attack right now and I go, hey, uh, Jeff, uh, I'm having a heart attack uh, and you were the doctor, I'm not going to ask you how much is it to save my life. Yeah. I'm just well, going to figure it out after. Remarkably calm right now, Jason. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right? I'm gonna, I'll figure it out later on. So it's a sense of urgency. And so, but you will lose a deal because you were too low. I went into a small company one time. I pitched a, I think it was around $20,000 website, biggest one at the time um, when we first got started. Come back to the office. I was like, man, these guys kind of laughed at me after I told them a price. And they were like, well, who'd you talk to? I was like, I don't know. This company called um, Brookshire, Brookshire Hathaway. <laughs> they were anticipating of like a $300,000 proposal. I gave them 20,000. So I'm selling that hundred, I'm selling you a Ferrari for a hundred dollars. Yeah. So immediately you're going to think, is it stolen? Is it a matchbox car? Is it a scam? Right? Mm-hmm. So you can lose deals over going too low, but if you show the value, you'll never lose a deal. If you're talking to the right prospect, if it's you know higher, as long as it matches up with the value you're delivering. But the problem is, is we don't show them how they're going to get there. We just say the price. And, or like my, my business partner at the time, he would be like, it's a hundred thousand. I'm like, is that a question? Like, just tell him it's a hundred thousand. <laughs> so you've worked with a lot of different agency owners. You've had an experience of your own running an agency. Who's the best salesperson you've ever, maybe not who exactly, but talk to me a little bit about some of the experiences you've had where you've seen people who are the opposite of this, where they're able to walk in, they do their thing and kind of what, what you think is that secret to success there? Well, it's helping, right? And don't look at yourself as a salesperson, right? You'll hire salespeople to get the meetings and that kind of stuff. But when you walk into a meeting, you have to be with full intention to help this person out and, and, and do the research ahead of time to make sure you can actually help them out. So then you don't have to sell. Like, here's my sales pitch. It's like, if I, if I was chatting with someone, I'd be like, all right, let's figure out what you want, what your biggest challenge is. And be like, and then I would, I would guide them in, in through like a plan. I'd be like, do you think that's a good plan? They're like, yeah, I love this plan. Well, of course they do because we built it together. And then I'd be like, well, you want my help? That's my closing pitch. Like there's no elaborate pitch or anything like that. Like I would always turn those deals down. Like if someone sent me an RFP, I'd be like, yeah, you know what an RFP stands for? Real effing problem. Request for punishment, right? Like there's only two winners to every RFP. The one that wins it, the first one out. So I only went after deals that I knew I could win and I knew I can help. So then I never have to sell. It's a really good way of doing it. I, I am also a fan of if you're in the right room with the right prospect that you that has the right problem that you know that you can solve, it shouldn't be a difficult thing to, to at least have a high close rate in those opportunities because you're doing the work at the beginning to find those right rooms to be in in the first place. So, yeah, and if... And if you're actually helping out the market you're going after, right? Like think of like, we wouldn't be on this podcast, you know, the thousands of agencies that I've helped 
would have never reached out to me if I didn't have a target and if I didn't help them first. You know, the interesting thing is, is when a lot of people engage with me, whether it be a mastermind or program or work with me privately, most of them have been digesting my content for over three years. I mean, I just want everybody to think about that. They're like, holy cow, that just means I'm consistent, right? I'm consistent with the message and I'm consistent and I'm patient. That's what you guys need to be. I think and you can build this huge waiting list. Yeah. People don't recognize how long it actually takes. I, I was at a, a networking breakfast um, today. Yeah, it was yesterday. And um, it's a group of people that I've been having breakfast with for three years every month. And um, great people. Awesome. Love them all. And so many of them have these different businesses. And one of the questions of the day was like, if you could snap your fingers and solve any problem or uh, bring someone into your company, that could solve that problem. What would it be? And so many of them said, Oh my, my social media, I wish somebody could help me with my social media, social media, social media. And it got to me and I was like, all right, everyone, I'm gonna take you to church because I'm going to absolve you of that concern because they're so worried about the day to day, putting something out there and having somebody else handle it for them that they're losing sight of why they would be doing in the first place or putting that time and energy into it. And they, they look at it as the short term, what am I going to get out of it? When, as opposed to uh, how can I build value over a very long period of time that I'm truly and actually invested in rather than just checking the box. And I think kind of to your point, when you authentically go out there with the, the intention of doing something that you care about, something that you think you can provide value and you do it consistently day in and day out over a long period of time, you're going to develop a reputation for that so that people do reach out to you for that and you become the trusted resource for it. And too many people are looking for that shortcut where whatever the tactic is, if I just do it a few times and then they get to a point where ah, it's too much work and it just falls apart. Yeah. I mean, you got to build yourself a brand. And you got to let people should know how to explain you and what you stand for. So if anybody listens to one of my podcasts or a video or an interview or sees me speak, it's always the same, right? It's always like, how can I deliver value with some insight that they can actually go do? And then hopefully, well, sometimes I try to put a little humor in there. Sometimes it's dry, right? You know, but you know, they, they know what to expect. And I also want it to be kind of short and sweet. I don't want to have someone watch a, an hour long video and have a thousand things. I'd rather someone digest a three minute video and be like, Oh, I can go execute on this right away. And take it, man. All right. I'm going to ask you one more question before I take us into the shareables. Um, and I think for any, uh, the shareable audience is such an interesting, diverse group of people, some of which are freelancers, some of them are other agency owners all over the place. So I, I'm just curious about this. If you were talking to somebody who wanted to start an agency. And let's just pretend that as you're talking to them, you could, you could imbue them with any skill that was necessary to answer this question. And you told them, hey, you should start an agency. What type of agency would you tell them to start? Now, again, remember, if you say like SEO or web development, that as you say that, they become imbued with all of the skills necessary to do that. But where do you see the biggest opportunity in agency life right now in the marketing space that if somebody were to start an agency, you would say that's the one to start? Well, I, I think it depends on the, the individual and, and I would tell them not to, here's the other deal, right? Here's the other big challenge people have is they keep defining themselves based on what type of agency that they are. Oh, I'm in a web development agency. I'm an SEO agency. Well, you should be focused on the solutions. Are you in the, the business building agency business, right? Where you're selling more of a solution 
to a particular problem, right? Like think about your clients have a, um, have a lock and they're trying to get from this, you know, into the other room because that's all their hopes and dreams. Well, your age, your agency is the key agency. You make keys. How can you, how can you position this key that they buy it for a lot of money because it's worth a lot of money. So, you know, it's, it, it, it all comes down to the right person. I don't want to say specifically like magically, this is it. Cause then everybody's going to do that and it may not fit their, their expertise or what they have passion in, but I rather people be more of a solution agency rather than a service agency. Dig it, man. Dig it. Well, thanks for all the work that you're doing with agencies. We need more agencies out there. that are doing great work and doing it in the right kind of way and scaling and charging enough so that it really, you know, rising tide rises all ships and uh, helps us all out. So I appreciate that. So I want to ask you a bunch of rapid fire questions uh, that I call shareables and then uh, I'll get you out of here because I know you got a whole bunch of other things to do today, but I appreciate the time you took with us. So here comes the shareables. So the first one, what's one book every person should read? Uh, good to great. Okay. That's Jim Collins, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite podcast? Can't say this one. You can't say your own. Smart passive income. Hate the name, but I love Pat Flynn. I think that's one of the greatest names that any podcast has ever invented. Well, you know, I, I got my podcast started because I started listening his, but I, and I think even Pat would tell you, be like, you know, there's no such thing as passive income. Oh, of course. But, but it's such um, a good title. And who doesn't yeah. want passive income? God, sounds right. awesome. Uh, what's one application, mobile or desktop, that everyone should go and download? You cannot say Evernote. Let's see. That is a good question. Um, I don't know, Instagram. I love Instagram. <laughs> cool. Uh, what is the most important skill of the future? Being resourceful. Love it. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Flying. <laughs> All right. Final question. What's one thing everybody listening to this episode should go and do today? They have to be able to go and do it today. Take action. Swank it. <laughs> be more specific. Give me something else. Um, I want you to really drill down into who you're perfect. If you were going to only be paid on performance, and you had to pick the perfect client that you could make the most money, like because you could deliver the most value, who would that be? Love it. That's a good one. All right, Jason, tell people where they can go and be social with you. It's your chance to tell people what you're working on, where they can go to get involved and how they can help you. Swank it. Swank.it. <laughs> yes, I own that URL. It will link to both my uh, podcasts and my YouTube videos. And, uh, and you'll be able to connect with me. Uh, on the other stuff. And then obviously jasonswank.com has all, if you're an agency, you know, go to there, it has, you know, we give away 80% of our knowledge for free. So, and then uh, obviously the 20% is for the, the premium people that want to excel a little bit faster. Dig it, man. Well, I can vouch for it. You put out great content. It's fire. Uh, just about all the time. I'm a huge fan. Um, so thanks for coming on the show, man. I'm glad that we, we got connected online and that we, we made this episode happen. Uh, yeah. I think there was so much in it that agency owners and, and non-agency owners alike could take from it. So I guess I, if I had to sum it up in one word, I'd say it's shareable. Wait, the show's not over yet. I have some important announcements. 
If you made it this far, you're clearly a dedicated fan or you're in the middle of vacuuming and just haven't hit stop on your podcasting app. Whatever the case, we want to thank you. We're not just music to your ears, we're music to your inbox. If you subscribe to our email list at sharablepodcast.com slash subscribe, not only will you get access to our private Facebook group, you'll also get all of our blog posts, newsletters, special announcements, and more. You won't find any of that in your podcast feed. You can follow the show at shareable underscore pod on Twitter and just shareable podcast on everything else. You can find Jeff online at jeffgibber.com and you can connect with me on Twitter at Caroline Sohn because I don't have a website yet. So go ahead, call us, leave a message, subscribe to our list, leave a rating, review us on iTunes, tell a friend, tell your mom. If she's like my mom, she'll love it. And now for the thank you portion to all the folks that make this podcast possible. Shout out to DJ Quads for the use of our theme song, Always, and Ahamitsu for the use of our outro song, Adventures. And a big thank you to Ray Bueno for all of that sexy production value. 